Hello everyone, welcome to the Zot Arts Podcast, the place where we invite UCI alumni and pharmacy to share their inspiring stories in their road to success. Today's episode is brought to you by Pre-Pharmacy Society at UCI and Anteaters and Pharmacy Alumni Association, and I'm your host, Brian Kwok. Without further ado, let today's episode begin. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are only subjected to our featured guest speaker and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Abby as a whole. Hello everyone, welcome back from Spring Break. Today's episode will be a little special since we usually have a pharmacist to come talk to us to share about their experience. However, today we're honored to have Dr. Eric Samuels, who's currently a scientist in the pharmaceutical sciences department at AppVie, to come to talk to us. Please welcome Dr. Samuels to the podcast. Dr. Samuels, would you like to further introduce yourself a little bit more? Sure, sure. Thank you, Ryan, for having me here. So, so my name is my name is Eric, uh, Dr. Samuel. So, I uh, I have a PhD. I did my PhD at UC Irvine. Uh, graduated in 2018, and I am currently a uh, scientist in, in the pharmaceutical sciences department, and actually in analytical development uh, at Abbey in Irvine. It was uh, Allergan. Uh, and Allergan was just actually uh, acquired by AbbVie, so now I work for AbbVie. All right, without further ado, let's get into your story. So Dr. Samuels, would you like to describe a little bit of your life before UCI, particularly during your undergrad years? Sure, so um, I did my undergrad at uh, UC Santa Cruz. And so a little bit about that life, uh, I, I have a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and molecular biology. And uh, when, I, when I entered Santa Cruz, I initially wanted to go towards the marine biology route. You know, I like, I like to fish. And uh, so that was always very interesting to me. I've always been interested in science. I knew I was gonna end up in science somehow. And most importantly, the, the, the question of, of why, you know, why, how, how something works, why something works. And, and I did very well in, in chemistry in high school. And so I, I joined UC Santa Cruz and I, I wasn't a huge fan of general chemistry, but uh, I got a, a position at the uh, chemistry stockroom. And if you talk to chemists, they, they just like to be around chemicals. You know, they, they like to know how these things work. And, you know, it's like when, when you have a child that, that watches their first firework going off, you know, you see the, the wow in their mind. And, and chemists really understand that. So. I was around these chemicals and, you know, I um, was watching the different labs going on. I wasn't quite sure what kind of route I was going to take, really. And I, I saw some of the students, the second year students doing, doing different experiments, you know, isolation of caffeine from, from tea. And, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I asked them what they were doing. Oh, we're doing organic chemistry. So, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. So I, I found an organic chemistry textbook. And I opened it, I just started reading it. And it was so interesting to me. It was just so interesting to me. And while I was taking the class, I, I remember this was like the early days of Wikipedia and you can like look things up like that. And, and uh, I, I was trying to figure out how I could relate this to the human body because disease has always been interesting to me as well. And I came across a book called The Biochemistry of Vitamins. And I said, that's that's the route I want to take, you know, this drug discovery, drug development, that's the route I want to take. And lo and behold, I ended up, you know, working in, you know, biochemistry at the time. 
and yeah, I uh, I went throughout. I, I guess I I'll, I can describe more. Yes, definitely. Um, I guess I can talk about two things that I could definitely relate to you. First, I definitely know a friend who actually just graduated from UC Santa Cruz. That's a marine biology major. So I found that yeah, a little bit interesting. It, they have a very, very good program uh, in marine biology. All of their science, you know, all the UCs, very good science schools, STEM schools in general. So, yeah, especially when, yeah. you know, Santa Cruz is such near to the coast of Northern California. It's like, right. it's like right around, you have your beach and stuff. Anyways, we're not really focused on Santa Cruz here, but also the second <laughs> relation here I have is that I myself, as Emma Ochem person too, like I, let's just say that I, I don't feel as comfortable as for like general chemistry for the upcoming quarter, I will have my third course for Ochem and I'm so far I'm enjoying every single time with my professor who's really great, you know, guided me through these, it's, all these mechanisms. It's absolutely so fun, actually. It's, it's, it is very fun. Uh, once you get really down and I know, it, it bring me back to that, that stock room. And I remember one of the students came up to me and said, what are you reading? I was like, organic chemistry. Why? <laughs> because they just like, you know, a lot of students, they just did not want, you know, especially students going on the medical route and in organic chemistry, organic chemistry and physical chemistry are the, the two, they're the killers for, for that crowd. But, but it is really enjoyable because there's so much mechanics behind it that, you know, when you really get deep into what you're actually making and, and really my focus was more on applied chemistry, not to say that methodology is not interesting. I mean, they come up with methodology. It's very interesting to me, but uh, you know, any sort of applied science is going to be interesting and, and organic chemistry is very applied because it's everywhere you know, especially in medicine, I mean, it's everywhere. And yeah, and that really good goes to relate how like you're currently working as a scientist, like synthesizing all these drugs and chemicals and stuff. So it's very interesting to me. But I think we can move on to speaking a little bit about your UCI experience. Which professor or research team did you work with during that time? And how do you enjoy research time? So I bounced around a little bit uh, at UCI. Um, so I entered UCI after my master's. I went and got a master's in biotechnology, um, very industrial focus, but I was more on the research side. I, I always wanted to go towards the research side and I knew I wanted to end up in a, in a PhD program. And so I bounced around a little bit and I ended up in the lab of uh, Tom Poulos, who is absolutely phenomenal professor and, and a fantastic mentor. But in his lab, he has a scientist there She's really like a research fellow. Uh, she has her own grants. It's kind of like a lab within a lab. And so I ended up working with her. Her name is Irina Severkova. And so I really enjoyed graduate school. <laughs> I'm kind of, uh, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people that do, but there are a lot of people that don't. It's not like law school where it's like, if you aren't having a good time, or if you are having a good time, you're not in law school <laughs> kind of thing. Um, graduate school, I I got to really, really explore. And there are parts of it that I really do miss, especially being an industrial scientist. I, I, get, I get a lot of freedom now as an industrial scientist, but academia has a level of freedom where you can just really explore. You want to do basic research, do basic research. You want to discover drugs. As long as you can get grant money, you know, that's, that's uh, really where it's at. So I, I worked with Tom. Tom was really my advisor. And then I worked with Irina, who, who kind of guided me, but she was the biochemist and, and I was a medicinal chemist. And so we were doing rational drug design. 
And so that was always something that I wanted to do. And at the time, it got me exposed to a lot of things before entering industry and the drug development world, which is very different than the drug discovery world. Oh, so you talk about like your time, do you, like drug design. Do you have any particular example of that you would like to share with us? Sure, sure. So what we worked on, and I worked on a number of projects. I worked on, in another lab, I worked on H. pylori, high throughput screening. I developed an assay to screen about 200,000 compounds against this one target. And, then, and that was before I joined Tom's lab. Tom, his lab, he works on heme proteins, so that, that bind iron. And he's very famous in that, that respect with heme proteins and x-ray crystallography. So they're all biochemists. I came in there and essentially built a, built a chemistry lab within, within the biochemistry lab. And so Irina is working on cytochrome P450, the 3A4 variant. So I don't know if you've taken um, Dr. Jafari's class or you know Dr. Jafari. I know who she is, but I haven't okay. taken her class. Yeah, so <laughs> yes. in pharmacology, she'll talk a little bit about 3A4. 3A4 is very important in medicine. It's an enzyme that is in your liver and it is responsible for metabolizing about more than 50% of xenobiotics. So drugs, toxins. So it oxidizes these things so they can be excreted from your body. Uh, so this is not something that you would normally want to inhibit. And, and in Dr. Jafari's class, she talks about grapefruit juice. And that's the reason why, you know, they say don't drink grapefruit juice on certain drugs because you'll stop the metabolism of those drugs and then it'll increase the blood concentration of those drugs. And so that can cause some unwanted side effects. So normally you don't want to inhibit these enzymes, but if you carefully control that inhibition, you can increase the blood concentration of certain drugs that would otherwise be rapidly metabolized. So that's actually, that concept is, is called uh, pharmacoenhancement. And there, there are two drugs right now on the market. One is by AbbVie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a drug called Ritonavir. And there's one called uh, Cobisostat, which is a, a Gilead drug. And uh, Ritonavir was actually developed as a HIV drug. Uh, and they found that it really selectively inhibited um, 3A4. And so it, it increased the, essentially the potency of, of other drugs that you put in combination with it. So we really took a look. So what Irina was doing, you know, before I joined was, was taking a look at ritonavir and getting crystal structures and doing all the work. She was able to solve crystal structures that these industrial scientists weren't able to solve. And so I came in and she said, here's what we have so far. Um, we want to build a pharmacophore, which is a, essentially a pharmacophore. It's, if you can think of it as kind of like a puzzle and, and you're trying to put all these pieces together, uh, essentially building the ideal drug or the ideal inhibitor can't really call it a drug yet because it hasn't gone through development, but, you know, uh, the ideal inhibitor. And so, you know, I came in and I said, what if we put something here? Let's, you know, you can, you've got a serine right here on the, in this enzyme. We got to have an oxygen that can really interact with that serine right there. And so you start building more and more on this pharmacophore. And we came out with several compounds that are very, very potent inhibitors more potent, I think about like five times as potent as ritonavir. I can't, don't quote me on that, but I, I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly how the numbers versus ritonavir, but I remember that they were in the sub-nanomolar range of, of inhibitory. The, um, the KD was really low. Dissociation constant. So yeah, it, it, those inhibitors, we built so many of them. We're still writing papers. You know, Irina still comes to me and we're, we're writing papers. I write the chemistry section and yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a lot of fun to really, you know, explore this. Yeah, just by hearing it, I'm like 
immediately interested in it. Like, you know, and thank you for like explaining all these terms for our audience who may not be as familiar. It, it really shows the importance, I think, in, you know, drug design. And I think it also represents like, you know, your passion about doing all these things, using science to help people in a way where it's certainly very inspiring to me, I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. So I would make these uh, inhibitors and Irina being expert crystallographer, she would get these crystal structures. And so we would just churn out data of new inhibitors bound there. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I guess when things go right, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I mean, a lot of times things go wrong and actually I prefer, not prefer, but I like being on projects where there's a lot of troubleshooting involved because then it's a lot of fun, you know? Uh, I mean, as a scientist, that's a, you know, if everything is going right, you know, that makes for an easy project, but, you know, I, I really like to use my mind and, and figure out what's going on. At least in my, my, my current position, that's, that's where I see it. Right, okay. I think we can move on to your transition into industry. And what are some experiences during your USC Allergan fellowship that were essential to your development as a scientist? Yeah, so I, I joined the USC Allergan Fellowship in Small Molecule Product Development. So there's, there's drug discovery and then there's drug development, which is actually taking the drug through clinical trials out of discovery and through preclinical. And then by the time that the drugs really get to us, it's like phase one all the way to commercial. And, and these things that they don't really teach you in graduate school. The industrial way of thinking is very different than the academic way of thinking as far as what are your goals. You know, your goals as a, as a professor or as a graduate student, I mean, you want to got to publish papers, you got to get grants. You know, my goals right now are to meet deliverables, you know, to make sure that the project is running smoothly, to stay on budget, to, you know, we're trying to bring a product onto the market. It's very different than the academia. So this transition or the fellowship was super helpful with that because, you know, it really got me, you know, accustomed to how to think like a, an industrial scientist. So I ended up joining the analytical scientist group because, you know, all throughout, you ask any scientist, I mean, they're doing analytical chemistry or bioanalytical techniques, you know, that's, that's just part of what we do. And so I joined that group through the small molecule product development fellowship and they kind of go back and forth between uh, analytical and, and formulation group, which is more on the chemical engineering side. And so, you know, partway through my fellowship, uh, I was like three or four months, maybe, yeah, it was about four months in, um, a scientist just so happened to be leaving the company. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, I, I, I'm gonna take your spot <laughs> as a scientist. Yeah, basically what I said. So I went to his boss, who's, who's now my, my boss now, who is also a very well-rounded, industrial science. He's been in industry for 30 years and he's a phenomenal analytical chemist. And, and so I went to him and I said, Hey, I'm interested in this. And he was interested in the fact that, you know, I had this background in synthetic chemistry specifically because in these analytical groups, there's a lot of diversity. You know, I have coworkers that are, you know, metal experts and coworkers that are experts in protein biochemistry. And, you know, so you have, all these different diverse backgrounds because, you know, yeah, we'll do the same kind of thing where we'll, we'll lead these projects or whatnot, but we have our, each have our own expertise. So it, it got me really 
you know, the fellowship was really important. It also got me exposed to the other sides of industry. The fellowship is actually was developed for PharmDs going to industry. So people that want to go into clinical development or regulatory affairs, medical affairs, publication, you know, different things where you would go with a PharmD. If you don't want to go and work in a pharmacy, you can go work in industry. I think the program started, I want to say 2009, but along the way, it, they started adding in PhDs as well. So they had drug delivery and the year after my year was, they opened up like bio research, biological research, pharmacology. So you have like all this, these diverse areas. And so we would go and meet with people. So it was interesting, it exposed me to metaphors, regulatory, you know, and that's so critical. If you're going to go into industry, should know a little bit about these groups and what they're doing because you come across them. You know, especially as you start to move up and you're coming across them, you're, you're on these teams where there is somebody from clinical there. There is somebody from, from medical affairs there. There is somebody from regulatory there, you know, so it's, it was very, very, very good exposure. And then also we got to kind of like, you get to branch out. You have a little bit more freedom in a postdoc at a company. And then once you get hired on, you know, they have projects for you and everything. Not to say that I don't have freedom because <laughs> I have, I do have freedom, but so it, it really did help. It really did help uh, do that, that whole transition from academia to industry. So what, from what I heard from your experience, you know, you talked about the transition from being academia to industry. I was wondering, because this is such a focus um, in, you know, general research, many of our audience, maybe mostly they are undergrads where like, they say like, oh, I wanted to do research, but I'm unsure about whether academia or industry. Would you like to describe what are some of the major differences? Sure. From, from a research standard, I guess it really depends on where in the industry you are going and where in academia you're also going. So it really comes to, you know, and I actually, I gave a talk on this, you know, the transitions um, not too long ago about the, the transition from academia to industry, because they don't really talk about that a lot, especially for graduate students. And, and one, it, it, it's a sad fact, but it's a, it's a simple fact that the hardest thing to do is to grab that first position out of graduate school. And the main reason is, is that industrial scientists, they don't trust academic scientists because <laughs> the thinking is different, you know, like, it, your goals are different and in the workflow like when I first joined you know and I got trained on on GMP so which is good manufacturing practices because all of our labs are GMP which is a whole other level there's it, it's not so much science as it is compliance so it, it's a different mindset from the way I was trained in academia which is you know I'm thinking outside the box and everything when you're doing GMP it, it's a standardized process so you know things like that things like budgeting and planning and, you know, driving these projects and then managing these projects. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's a different mindset, but that's not to say that, you know, one can't learn, <laughs> of course. So academia is more, I wouldn't say it has a lot more freedom. I mean, it, it does because you can, if you get a grant, you know, you can kind of move from there, but it's, it's just a little bit, of a different outcome because the simple fact is, is that you're not necessarily trying to get a product onto the market, you know? So that plays a huge role in, in what your, what your daily tasks are. 
you know, especially if you're doing basic, if you're doing translational medicine and things like that, if you're working with the clinic and, you know, you're trying to get something into phase one and, you know, the, it, like when I did my master's, I did a fellowship at, at City of Hope. And there were a lot of professors there that would bring their research into the clinic. So, you know, that's, that is kind of trying to get something out there, right? But if you're doing like basic science, it's a little bit different. And they do basic science in industry too. You know, they need to figure out how something works to bring it to market. So thank you for your answer for that. I'm sure that will benefit a lot of our audience who, you know, maybe just interested in research, but, you know, when they think about what they want to do and where they want to be um, in a research team, I think that's very important. So I think we can move on to what you're currently doing at AVI. I think it's currently, it's per, um, probably pretty similar to what you have for fellowship, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still in the analytical sciences group. And in, in analytical, we were kind of like gatekeepers for these programs throughout trials. Even before then, you, are, you have an analytical person, you know, throughout your entire, because things may be a little bit more compartmentalized in industry. It's not so much with us, you know, if we, we are driving a project, we're project focused, we kind of, you know, handle everything about that project. But there are other things that like, you know, outsourcing kind of plays a part and, you know, working with other groups and such. So what I do in, in analytical development is we do a lot of method development and method validation. And so essentially we write experiments to be able to test the drug substance and the drug product. And you want to make sure that you write these experiments so that they can end up, when it gets to the commercial stage, it has to end up at some QC lab. And so you want to make sure that you effectively write these experiments and then you've got to do method validation, which is the GMP aspect. Make sure your method works. That's a big role. Other roles would be like impurity analysis you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, your drug substance, drug product, you know, if it's degrading, you know, why is it degrading? You know, we, we deal with a lot, I'm sure, you know, the Allergan traditionally is an ophthalmic company. And so you have something in solution now and uh, things in solution don't always like to stay put. And so, you know, you'll have degradation, you know, if you're, if you're working with process chemists who are trying to formalize a process for manufacturing your drug substance, uh, you need to know everything about this process and where things could possibly go wrong. So if you have on your third step right before your, your final, you know, if you, if you have in like one, I was just discussing this, if you have, you know, one of your steps, you, you use a palladium catalyst, for, for example, you know, palladium on carbon, you're doing hydrogenation and, and such. So now we got to worry about is there residual palladium in, in the drug substance? And there was something that the FDA came out with recently about nitrosamines. Nitrosamines naturally form, you know, when you cook a sausage on the grill, but in a pharmaceutical product, we're extremely, extremely regulated. And there was actually, I can't remember which product was just pulled because they found nitrosamines in there. And it was like a very strange way that they got in there. It was like, it was a solvent that interacted with one of the excipients. I can't, I, I can't quite remember but it was something like that. And, you know, that, that's a huge deal. Extractables and leachables, which is something that things that people don't normally think about, like packaging the glue on a label can leach through the packaging into your product. And so you got to see like, what are these leachables? And is that okay? You know, have they been seen before? Because sometimes it's just, you know, they're there, they don't pose a risk. 
Um, you'll work with talks, whether or not things pose a risk. So a lot of that. And then the main thing is stability. That's big, big role. So we run these long studies, you know, three-year studies, you know, and you put them in, you put your drug substance and your drug product into chambers and you essentially, you know, you expose them to <laughs> different conditions and then you see what's happening at each condition. And you do that with anything. You want to change the formulation, make sure it's still stable. Because at the end of the day, you want to make sure it's stable. We're the group that says like, you can keep this at room temperature for this amount. You know, this is what the expiry should be based on what we've seen, our data, based on how much it degrades, what's going on with the degrades. Is that, is that really a risk? You know, so it's, it, it's very cross-functional, very, very cross-functional. And that's the reason I really like it. I, be, before I actually became more of a project, like a project lead, I never got exposed to that. And I remember the first time I was sitting in a meeting, this was before COVID. <laughs> I was sitting in a meeting and I was looking around and I was like, wow, you know, we have somebody here from regulatory. We have somebody here from process. We have somebody here from micro. We have somebody here from, you know, it's like all these people working together on this team and all going back and forth with each other, you know, and it, it's, such a well-oiled machine. That's another huge difference between, you know, academia is this, this teamwork that, you know, all the way from phase one going up to commercial. It's like, as my boss says, with drug development, you know, discovery, they have to make the child, right? And then our role is to bring the child through graduation. And so there's a lot of ups and downs throughout that process. And so it's, it's very fun. And that's why I was saying, you know, when the troubleshooting happens, that's when I can really use my background because I have, a, you know, something that's really stable and it doesn't degrade and all that stuff. It makes a great product. But, you know, from a scientist perspective, I want things to go wrong. <laughs> I want to see what's going on. You know what I mean? So not to say that I want things to go wrong, of course, but when things go wrong, it becomes fun. It, it, it's that troubleshooting that why, what's going on here. So that's really my role day to day kind of thing. A lot of documentation too. Lots of documentation. So as we approach to the end of the episode, do you have any advice for UCI students who want to get into research during or after undergraduate? Oh, that's a great question, Ryan. Number one is don't be shy. You know, if you're interested in a specific research area or a professor, it, it does not hurt to ask. I mean, the worst thing that happens is they say, no, we don't have any. They like having undergrads because undergrads are, you know, it's, it's good around, you know, it helps train graduate students. It helps train postdocs if they need, you know, more teaching experience. And it just depends on the lab, but don't be shy. I remember I, in Santa Cruz, that was my big thing as I found this professor that I really liked his work and I just went up to him and I got you know, I got involved in his lab. I actually helped him move from one building to another. And that really kind of set the, <laughs> set the, who's this undergrad who's helping me move from one building to the next? Yeah, don't be shy. And then for, you know, the research side, you know, this also applies really to graduate school. Um, th this applies a little bit more to graduate school, but, you know, look for labs that are funded, you know, that's, it's not to say that you can't join a lab that's not, it's a big commitment to take on a graduate student. So, so try to find a lab that's funded and, you know, talk to the other graduate students because you want to find out 
how the professor is, what kind of management style they have. They're micromanaging and, and all that stuff. But, but you don't really have to worry about that as an undergrad. You know, you're going and just learning. So my biggest piece is just don't be shy. You know, go and explore. You know, if you find a professor, and there, there are lots of professors that will take undergrads at UCI. I remember I had, had several undergrads. And then the second piece of advice is that even though your grades, the grades aren't, aren't everything when it comes to research. Because I wasn't a spectacular student as an undergrad. And, you know, that was part of like the, the not being shy. That really helps. You know, you show that you're really devoted because it doesn't really translate over. You know, you take a test very well. It doesn't translate to, it may translate to how much you know, but it doesn't translate to how devoted you are to the work. And so that's very important, I think, for me to say to some students, because I know that they may be like, well, you know, my GPA is not fantastic. So no professor is going to take me. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I took a student knowing that, you know, she told me her GPA wasn't that great, but she would come to my office hours continuously, ask me questions and stuff like that. And I said, hey, do you like chemistry? <laughs> and, she, and she came and joined me in the lab just to kind of exposure. And I went to Tom and I said, Hey, Tom, I got this undergrad. She's interested. He's like, great, take care of her. So, I mean, things, things do work out like that. Don't be shy. You know, that's a big one. All right. Thank you for sharing your advice and story of us, Dr. Samuels. Um, I think a lot of uh, our audience will benefit from it. Even myself, you know, I'm trying to find research for myself. <laughs> so yeah, great. Thanks again. Thank you for being uh, our guest for this episode and good luck with your continuing work in the industry. Our next episode, as per usual schedule, will come out around three weeks after this episode. So stay tuned to our announcements and see you all next time. Ryan, Zod out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ZotRx podcast. You can learn more about us as an organization by going to our website at sites.uci.edu pharmacy and follow us on our social media. You can also support our program by donating to us through Venmo at PPS at UCI. See you next time. Zod out.